imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some, indeed, preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. As it is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that will with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Thus far, reading of God's holy word. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the amazing grace you have shown in the life of the Apostle Paul. How you took a man who hated Christ, who hated his name, who hated his people, and you changed him to one who loved Christ and loved the people of Christ. Oh Lord, would you do that same gracious work in us Fill us with a great love for one another that we might honor Christ by the way we live and show that love to one another. Lord, most of all, we pray that you would stir up our affections to love you with all our heart and to desire earnestly to be with you where you are. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I mentioned earlier, this morning's message is the third of four messages on the subject of heaven. As many of you were not here, I know many of you were able to watch it online, but let me give you just a brief summary of where we've been. Last Sunday morning, we were looking at our Savior's words in John 14, particularly verses 1 through 6. 
And words there were spoken to his disciples saying, let not your hearts be troubled. These words were being spoken to the disciples to comfort them. To comfort them at a time in which they were greatly troubled. Jesus was about to be killed. And he was then going to go away from them. And how does Jesus comfort them during those difficult times? By filling their minds and their hearts with thoughts of heaven. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe in me. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go, I will come again and receive you unto myself so that you may be with me where I am. That's the way our Savior comforted his disciples. In the evening, we turned our attention to 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 where Paul is helping the Corinthian church. And they were struggling, brethren. They were struggling with questions. Well, what's going to happen when we die? And Paul says, we know this. When this earthly house, this tent, that, this body that we live in is destroyed, when it's gone, we have a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. And he goes on to say, when we're absent from this body, we're going to be present with the Lord. And now we come to Philippians chapter 1, and we see these words as Paul himself is facing some pretty serious problems. He is in prison and he is fairly convinced that his life is almost over and may very well be coming to an end. And where does he turn for comfort? For his own soul. My friends, he turns to thoughts of heaven. Look again at verses 21 and following when Paul says here in Philippians 1, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I live on in the flesh, there will be fruit from my labor. But what shall I choose? (laughs) That's a hard one. Here is the great apostle Paul. And he's wrestling. What does he really want? We could say out of life. And he says, brethren, I am hard pressed. This is not a simple decision. This is a hard decision. I am hard pressed. I don't know what I'm going to choose because I have a desire to depart and be with Christ. 
And that is far better. My friends, how often when you stop to think about heaven do you think about these things that we see in each of these passages? Brethren, these passages are some of the clearest and most vivid descriptions anywhere in the Bible about the subject of heaven. And over and over again, so that you may be with me, so that we may be present with the Lord, so that I might be with Christ. Is anybody picking up on a pattern here? Is there a prominent theme that is coming before us again and again and again to be with Christ? My friends, that is far better. When the scriptures speak of heaven, most frequently they think of being with Christ. That is the most prominent theme. Now to help us grasp this and take in the glory of what is before us, I want us to look at two main headings. Number one, the biblical examples of a desire to depart and be with Christ. And then the biblical explanation of what that desire to be with Christ really translates into. Three questions that I want to to kind of start with this morning. Number one, do you want to go to heaven? Now, I would dare to say that unless you are just plain strange, everyone in this room would say, oh, yeah, no question. I definitely don't want to go to hell, so I want to go to heaven. The question number two is why? Why do you want to go to heaven? What is it about heaven that you really want? And the third question, a little more pointed, what do you desire most of all about heaven? What do you desire of all the possibilities? What do you desire most of all? Now, there are a lot of reasons people give for wanting to go to heaven. In our congregation in South Carolina, I had an elderly gentleman, and from day one, every time we talked about heaven or about about eternal life, this... (laughs) This man was obsessed with the streets of gold. Every time he would say, where did they get all that gold to pave all those streets with? I want to walk on the streets of gold. That was like rooted in this man's mind. He, he, it was like he couldn't think of anything else. I'm sure he did, but he loved to talk about the streets of gold. My own mother was fond of saying, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask the Apostle Peter 
this or that question. I've got these puzzling things that trouble me. I want to know the answer. I'm going to ask Peter. Or others say, I'm going to ask Paul. Or I'm going to ask Moses this or that about the kingdom of heaven. There are a lot of others that are longing for heaven just to have relief from the physical pain that they are in. My friends, for those of you who are in chronic pain, I I understand, I know some of what you're feeling, maybe not to the degree that you're feeling it. Others, deeply brokenhearted, filled with sorrow over the loss of a family member, a husband, a wife, and they just want relief. And still others may say, I just want to be reunited with my loved ones, a son, a daughter, a husband, a wife, some other member that we loved dearly. Now, my friends, listen closely. The scriptures clearly teach that we will indeed see and know one another in heaven. Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11, we saw the verse used in Sunday school this morning. Many will come from the east and from the west and sit down. Sitting down was sitting at a meal, sharing a time of fellowship with one another. And they're going to come and they're going to sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. My friends, we will know one another in heaven. We will have fellowship and enjoy that fellowship with the saints of old. And with our loved ones who have died in the Lord. Now keep in mind, our relationship with our loved ones is not going to be the same as it was here. So Jesus specifically says when he's asked the question about the woman who had seven husbands. And he says, they're not married in heaven. Now brother, I don't understand that. I I can't put those pieces together, but God has not been pleased to reveal that, and we have to leave it there. We will know one another. It's going to be different, and that probably raises some questions in your mind that we don't have time to talk about this morning. We will look at it in more detail this evening as part of our fellowship like we've never fellowshiped before. What we see here is this, and this is what I want you to take hold of this morning. All those other blessings about heaven are wonderful, glorious gifts from God, but my friends, they pale compared to this, that I desire to be with Christ. And that eclipses everything else. It outshines everything else. It's far better to do that. My friends, it goes beyond 
anything that you and I can even imagine to be with Christ. Let the words of the Apostle Paul sink in. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far, far better. This is not just a little bit better. This is like eons better. Paul says to be with Christ is far better, better than my life here and now. Now, my friends, don't get me wrong. I enjoy my life in this world. God has blessed me. He's given me a a beautiful family. He's given me many privileges and, and blessings. He's given me a fabulous congregation. And all of those things I love. As Paul wrote to Timothy in chapter 6 and verse 17 of 1 Timothy, he says, God has freely given us all good things to enjoy. He wants us to enjoy our life here. But heaven is far better. It's better Then Paul's love for his work, especially in in Philippi and amongst that congregation. Paul loved these people. He loved them deeply. He loved them sincerely with a Christ-like love. Every time he thought of these people, it brought him joy. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. My friends, can you say that about very many people? Every time Paul thought about this congregation, it filled him with praise to God and joy in his own heart. He desired to remain, to see their progress in the things of the Lord. He desired to see them grow. He wanted to stay and serve them. In the work of the gospel. But you know what? It was something that he wanted much greater. Much more. He wanted to depart. And be with Christ. That is what filled his heart. That was far better than anything else he could think of. Is that the way? You think of heaven. It's very easy for us to get caught up in the things of this world. To be wrapped up in our work, to be wrapped up in our families. And maybe we have an inkling about heaven and glory that's yet to come. But my friends, the apostle says, I want to leave. I want to be with Christ because that is far better than anything else I can think of. Now, this is not the only place where we see this heavenly desire being presented in striking way. 
Think about the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ in John 17, often referred to as his high priestly prayer. Many things about that prayer that we can draw from, that we can learn from. But if you want to turn back to John 17 and look at verse 24, here is Christ praying, praying a perfect prayer. To his father in heaven. And what does he say in verse 24? Father. I desire. That they also whom you gave me. May be with me. Where I am. My friends we have many reasons. For desiring heaven. Christ seems to have one. I want those whom you have given me from before the foundation of the world. I want them with me where I am. Think about how Jesus counsels the thief on the cross. We read in various passages in this description of our Savior's words, particularly Luke 13, where Jesus tells the thief. The thief comes to faith, hanging there in pain, staring death in the face. And he says, Lord, Master, remember me when you come into your kingdom. What did he receive instead of that request? He asked to be remembered And Jesus says, no, no, brother, today you will be with me in paradise, in heaven. What Jesus tells this broken, humbled man is you will be with me. My friends, do you have that hope? If you were to die today, do you have a confidence that you would be with Christ in heaven? Again, to go back to the passage from last Sunday, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Apart from Christ, There can be no hope of heaven. The only way you can go to heaven, the only way you can go to God is through faith in Jesus Christ. And I pray that you have that faith and that hope that Jesus gives to this dying thief. It wasn't about his good works because he didn't have any. But Jesus says today, you will be with me in paradise. Some of you may know John Bradford, 1555, was burned at the stake by Bloody Mary. Mary was trying to reverse course from the Puritan um, revolution that had taken place and, and the changes that had come about in great evangelical Christianity. And Mary wanted to wipe that out and go back to Romanism. And so one of the men that she burned, there were many, 
But one of the men was John Bradford. And it says that Bradford went to the stake with joy. I'm sorry. I can't understand that exactly. He went to the stake, and as they were lighting the fires, he turned to a young man who was being burned alongside of him, and he said, Be of good comfort, man. Tonight, we will have a happy supper with the Lord. His comfort, his joy, his greatest hope was about to be realized. He was going to, by the time the flames died down, he was going to be with the Lord. Spurgeon puts it very well, emphasizing this truth. My friends, the hope of heaven is not something you need to wait until you're at death's door to secure. Spurgeon said, if we do not get to heaven before we die, we will never get there afterwards. Is heaven in your thoughts now? Is heaven part of your prayers now? Is heaven part of your life, the way you live Because you want heaven. Because you will be with the Lord. Those are the examples, or at least some of them, that the scriptures give us of those who desire to depart and be with Christ. But let's look at the biblical explanation of that desire. You know, when I read these examples of individuals both in scripture and in church history and I, I, I look at them and I read their words and, and my heart just is grieved because I'm asking, is that me? Is that my heart's desire? And it moves me, it moves me to prayer, to pray, God, help me. God, raise my affections to things above, not on the things of this earth. God, enable me, like the psalmist of old, who could say, as the deer pants for the water brook. And the idea is that this deer is being chased. His life is being pursued and he just longs, he's panting. He wish he could get a drink of water. And David says, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for God. I want that. I desire that. But listen, the scripture does more than just say, Here's the model. Now do your best, and I hope you get there. No, the scriptures go beyond. They define, they describe, and they explain what this being with the Lord is actually like. And when they do that, my friends, the goal is to draw us to say, do you see this? Do you want this? 
the sweetness, the glory, the goodness of the Lord, the presence of Christ. It's to draw us into the joy of our Lord. And we might be tempted to say, well, don't we enjoy communion with God now? I mean, we come to church and we worship and Sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes I am moved by our songs of praise, our prayers before the throne of grace, and the ministry of God's word, how it nourishes, how it comforts, how it instructs. And God draws near. He meets with us in his word and in his worship and in our times of prayer. But my friends, I think there's no question Jesus and Paul are describing something more than that. And I think that's very clear. One thing that Jesus tells the thief is, today you will be with me in paradise. Not right now, but when you die. The moment you die. Remember our catechism question. What benefit do believers receive at death? Believers, the souls of believers at their death immediately pass into glory. That is what we long for. There's something more. And we're going to get the first fruits of that experience at death. But then 1 Thessalonians 4 that talks about the day when Christ will come, after which all these things happen. The dead are going to be raised. We who are alive are going to be caught up in the air with the Lord. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. So there is a one step into this glory of heaven immediately at our death. But then, my friends, when Christ comes back, we are going to rise even higher to the apex of the glory of heaven. The difference, the difference between how we enjoy communion with God now and the communion we enjoy then can be seen in two elements. And we have them both in 1 John 3, verses 1 through 3. Now, we read these words earlier, but they are telling description. Number one, we shall be like him. We are going to be changed. Now, the apostle John does not mean that we're going to be like Christ in his deity, we're not, as so many New Age people, leaders, indicate that we're going, to be, we're going to become God. We're not going to become divine beings. We are not going to be omniscient. We are not going to be omnipotent and all-powerful. That creator-creature distinction will always be there. But we shall become like him. In his purity and in his holiness. So, the question I mentioned earlier what benefits do believers receive at their death? They are 
made perfect in holiness. The moment you close your eyes in death, you become perfectly holy. You need to meditate on that. You will have no more sin at that moment. To be with Christ is to be made like him and not have any of the deterrence or any of the defects of our sinful nature. Some of you may remember the name Isabel Kuhn, Canadian Christian missionary to China in the 20th century. This is what she said she longed for most. It was to be with the Lord with the root of sin gone. To be with the Lord with the root of sin gone. To fellowship with the Lord without the flesh getting in the way. Never again to have an unwanted thought of pride or self to finally be rid of corruption. My friends, we could could just stop there. We could take those words and think about them this day and profit greatly. To be with the Lord and the root of sin gone. To fellowship without the flesh interfering. No longer to have unwanted thoughts of pride or self. To finally be rid of corruption. My friends, when we see the Lord, when we are with the Lord, we are going to be made like him. Holy. Perfectly holy. But then... The Apostle John also says, we shall see him as he is. Now, as with our communion, so it is with our seeing God, there are different ways, there are different levels of this seeing God. We're not going to take time to look at these in detail. Just think for a moment, we see him in creation. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament shows his handiwork day unto day. Uh, reveals knowledge night unto night. We see God, not with our physical eyes, but we see evidences of his handiwork, of the way that he has manifested his glory in this world. We see him in his word. There are times where where God comes and he, he blesses the teaching and the preaching of his word and brings it home to our hearts and we know that God is in our midst and that he's working, he's changing, he's molding, he's sanctifying us by his truth. We see him in the sacrament, the sacrament of the Lord's Supper and baptism. It's why we speak of the sacraments being the covenant made visible because we see in those sacraments the beauty the glory, the greatness of our Savior's love for us, 
of the power of his redeeming grace that nothing can keep us out of heaven if Christ has set his love upon us and has redeemed us by his grace. So we see in all of these ways, but all of these things as good and beneficial as they may be is but what Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 13, 12, a seeing in part. A seeing in a mirror, darkly, dimly. We see it, but we don't see it clearly. My friends, one day we are going to see him as he is. We're not going to see in that mirror dimly. We're going to see him face to face. That's what we have to look forward to. Listen to the way Thomas Boston speaks of this seeing God. He says, the souls of the saints shall see God himself. And so the scriptures teach us it will be a ravishing sight. Seeing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, not with bodily eyes, but with the eyes of their understanding. We're going to see him, and we're going to see him in the fullness of his glory, eternally, without interruption. We're going to feast our eyes upon him and be ever viewing his glorious perfections. That's what it means to see him as he is. This is the way the Bible defines and explains to us what it is to be with Christ. It's to be made like him. It's to see him as he is. To be with Christ. To see him. To be made like him. We are going to be changed. Perfectly blessed in the full enjoying of God for all eternity. I don't think there's a more pregnant phrase in all of our catechism and confession. To be perfectly blessed to the full enjoying of God to all eternity. My friends, when we understand this, I don't think we'll be that surprised by the apostle's words when he says, I'm hard pressed. What I'm going to choose, I I don't know because I have a desire, a passion, a desire to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. I pray that God, even at this moment, will begin to grow in each of us that kind of desire to be with Christ, to fill 
our minds and our souls and our lives with a desire for heaven starting right now and reaching the pinnacle when Jesus comes back. Let's pray together. Oh, Lord, our God, we thank you for your glorious promises, promises that defy our ability to comprehend or even imagine the kind of glory your word describes. But Lord, work in us and give us that hunger, that thirst for the kingdom of God, a longing to be with Christ, to be made like him, to see him in all his glory. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a few moments, meditate upon these glorious promises God has given us of heaven and Christ.